Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Pete. That's what we do around here. We have a new co-host. I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm tell you, I ain't dead. Tell me one thing of that intro music. Is that that demo? And then you yes. added more shit to it. Yeah, that's Dick Steady on guitar. Is it you, Mike, or Dick? No, it's Dick's. I do believe, but it sounds as like me. I I could have swore, but that's not the original demo. There's extra guitar in there somehow. Oh well, then it might be me. I guess because it sounds like I'm playing a bunch of noodly fucking. You're so busted, Mike. You weren't even in on that session, and you jumped in and added your guitar and thought no one would notice. <laughs> and the one fool that would ever notice were Corey Twizzling in on our deal. He nothing of nothing I ever did was fucking pre-planned or or <laughs> nothing. Just like is it I, is it the song Look at That House Up There? Is that the name of it? Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. Yes, it is. No, I don't think I didn't do it. I definitely didn't do it. After. Did we record that at at, um, at uh, JJ and what's his name's joint? Fuck, I have no idea. But if 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 I'm on there, but Nolan from I Love You, and I was supposed, I was so dude. I remember that uh, Dats had just come out, right? Digital audio tape had just come out, and I was like, I was so strung out. And I was like, I mean, like we had these songs that go like, I think it was Billy Person on bass. And I was like, all oh, going to get rented, rented that machine. And I was good. Like, I had no idea how they worked. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought that you rented that and that's all you needed. I didn't realize you like had to have the mixer. It was just the end of a thing. I was such, you know, so out of my mind. I remember showing up at Tanner. We got to tell the people who you are. So ladies exactly. and gentlemen, boys and girls. I'm a guy who's great, ruined by Bob Forrest. Uh, the great, the reason why there was a band, the reason why there is a me, the magnificent, the charming, <laughs> the graceful, but uh, the Bob hating Pete Weiss. No. Thank you, Pete. You know that's not true. <laughs> Matt, the Weiss master butterfly, as we call him, the master butterfly. It is really true. You only get clarity when you're old. Like, I never would have. You know, because I tried to form a band before, Pete, you said you're going to be the singer with Aaron Glasscock. You did. And yeah, I did. I was going to be the guitar player singer or something. I don't oh, know what boy. I was going to be. Oh, boy, that would have been great. Because, <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's so funny. I talked to Aaron Glasscock, like, I don't know, three, four or five months ago, he called me up. Just out oh of the my blue. God. It was really nice. Yeah, it was really great to talk with him. And I had to admit to him that back before there was a Thelonious Monster, I was in a conversation with him and the, he was going to start a band and the word monster was in it. And I kind of purloined the monster part of Thelonious Monster. Oh, my God. From that, that offhand thing. And I felt like kind of a that? creep that I stole his name. And he goes, I have absolutely no remembrance of anything like that ever happening. So, I'm like, so cool. this is how it goes down. Whenever the date that the replacements played the Cafe de Grand, I was there. There was only like 40 or 50 people on the Hootenanny tour. I was blown away. I went home to that place at Anthony. I lived on Hollywood Boulevard and I had a landline and I, and I had talked to Nikki Beat and I, he, I said, I want to form a band. And he said, you should get Aaron to be the drummer. He, start, right. he wants to, he, he was like, he was like Nikki's protege. 
Yeah, yeah he, he was like Nikki's form a band. And he married he married your ex-girlfriend. I called him that night and I said there was a band we we anybody can do it that was my that was my opinion after seeing the replacements anybody can do it you know <laughs> it's true well i guess you never consider because i wasn't a drummer right right i just have i'm the guy i just had a drum set and i knew a dude that had a space we we could we can rehearse at so i called up you know you and chris and john huck and then Stobe, Stobe got in and like a, a, some drunken night with the, you know, Flea and Anthony, you and me or whatever. Like, dude, we were having a fight whether Bob wanted to call it the uh, fuck the world experience. Fuck the, fuck the world experience. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, right. like the Jimi Hendrix experience. And I told, this is how we were arguing from the very beginning. And I told Stobe how he could be in the band if he voted for <laughs> Polonius Monster. And he said, dude, I'll do it. And that's why it's called the Lost Monster, and not so the, the reason why. At the time, if you go back, there was a lot of initials band. So what I wanted it to be was the FTW experience, right? Right. Because you had, uh, you know, everybody had initials: Pill, REM, MBC. Yes, I get it. I get and, it. I get it. And that was, but that shows that I was trying to be punk rock, which I am not, and never. I don't know why back. we're explaining this stuff. I don't think there's like two people that really could care well yeah wiley here's the two people wiley and 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 uh chris wiley chris, chris Carey. Carey. wiley isn't wiley texts me if a new podcast doesn't come out where's the podcast does he really get <laughs> wiley i love wiley he knows that yeah so that. but anyways uh, but what i was saying is when you look back on your life you go where were the main things that were the most significant like and Dude, I've been looking back a lot this week, and uh, it's just bad luck. <laughs> just exactly. I, it's become an absurdist comedy. Boy, the, nowadays or then? Just the entire thing for my for my entire like I, I've, I've I'm a, I have a bemused attitude towards it. It's not as if it destroyed me because yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah. still like, you know, I got peace of mind to some degree. Yeah. But you know I, when I look at all the obstacles that were thrown in my way for someone who's seemingly you, should have just had like, you know, suburban straight to like normalcy lifetime. You know what, Pete, it's, it's really, it's really hard to be nostalgic when people are constantly bringing it up and throwing it in your face and stuff. At least for me, Oh, remember when you did this? Remember when I was like, ah, oh, no, I don't remember. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't give that. I don't give anything I've done more importance over anything else I've ever done. Mm. And I think, I know your shows about recovery and things like that. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not in recovery anymore, but I'm recovered. Well, you're not you know, shooting fat. You're not shooting fentanyl. <laughs> like, yeah, you are. I think of Dude, you had, as I've a had, recovering person. I think of you as a recovering person. You smoke weed, but you're a recovering person. I've got like seven bottles of booze in my apartment that have been here for like four years. That yeah. like every once in a while I'll take but a how much beer. how much pot sits around there for four years? <laughs> not I, a I, lot. I will at night I will enjoy uh some B movie TV. Um this is the this is the tip for all your listeners. Yeah. If you have a Roku. You want to watch B-movie TV, Otherworlds TV, and The B-Zone, because it's non-stop B-movie action without commercials. Okay, there you uh, go. Yeah. That was your, your free tip. No, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, weed dependent. I don't like smoke. Like, if, like th it's the weirdest thing. Like, if I, like, take a hit, like, at five in the afternoon, 
right? And I have to go back over to the school. I feel like I'm fucking 13 years old and the like I have I'm a bust, even though like I work at a very weed friendly place. Like most <laughs> of the people there smoke weed. Like when we have events, everyone's having a cocktail yeah, yeah. and smoking weed it ain't no thing. But I still feel like such a bust. It's like this 13-year-old mentality. Bobby, remember, remember when bad company was really big? Yeah, I and, still, and, they're and, still really big at my house. Okay, but okay, yeah, back but in the, the day. But the Bad Company logo said Bad Company and it had a big pot leaf. And people like had belt, belt buckles or t-shirts. Yeah, belt buckles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Bad and company. I'm thinking to myself, like, why would you advertise it? Like, I'm trying to get away. I'm trying to be cool with this and not get busted. And then you have these guys walking around pro proclaiming it. So I don't think it was until I got involved in like, I got a little bit more educated because I was from North Valley. I got a little bit more educated in culture. And that's when I started uh, like moving towards like a punk rock mentality where like, wait a second, it's okay to proclaim shit loudly, right? As long as you're on the right side of shit. I like that. Yeah. Anyways, what does what does this but, show do? I don't well, to. well, what I want it's about it's we about the talk, death man. the death that's going on. But one thing that I thought you might want to talk about, maybe you don't. I never know. I care. Is AA? It seems to have a beginning, middle, and end to most people in its life, and that some re some return back to smoking weed or drinking or whatever. Um, very few, by the way, return back to shooting speedballs and dying. Very few. Right. It's right. mostly, but here's the thing. It's like, it's like the Catholic church. Uh, if you're in the Catholic church, you think everybody's Catholic, but you don't realize how many millions of people have left the Catholic church to still believe in God. And I believe that AA has become like the Catholic church in a certain way. I think there's a lot of people have left AA. I don't really know why. What were some of the things that bothered you because what what were some of the what were the some because you were a I I let me preamble this by telling everybody I was at an AA meeting that I started on Saturday night at Tropical and and you were like five years sober and some guy in the room said it's like Pete Weiss always says and was quoting you as some AA guru quoter quote the person <laughs> like Cubby like like Cubby <laughs> I'm a very good orator. I've, I've, I'm a very good speaker, and I, I'm, I can deliver a message very well. And it doesn't matter what I'm discussing. Now, if you put me on the topic of AA, then I can discuss it really well, and I can make myself clear, and I have de deeply held moral convictions that I can articulate most often. So he's not, I'm not, don't put me in the context of AA, put me in the context of I was saying some deep shit. And some motherfucker went like, oh, my God, that's relevant. To my Did life. you have a lot of sponsees? I, I can't even remember. I had tons of sponsees. I, you know, me and Mike, me and Mike have no sponsees. Mike, you sponsor people? I got a couple. Yeah. That I've had for a really long time. Yeah, I've got a couple, but they don't they don't respect me enough to take any advice from me. But they're well on their way and they're they're they've been they've been sober for a long time now. Though. Dude, I'm 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 like I'm a legendary sponsor. Because I'm the one who broke a Rene Navarrete. Yeah. I broke him. And he's doing great. But that's, you know, I mean, if you want to get to, I have absolutely zero problems with AA. What I had was a problem with me in AA. And I had a problem that 
I was starting to get off on being able to like that position in AA where like people would come to you for advice. And I felt like I don't need to, I can't give people advice anymore, especially when I have sponsees right. who are dying and stuff like that. And right. I, I didn't like, I didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't like how it fed into my ego and I didn't like seeing it. Most importantly, I didn't see how, like how I saw it affect other people. That being uh, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. that being said, the only reason we're talking on this phone right now is because of my time I spent in AA period. End of conversation. I, I get together with other guys that I know that are no longer in AA, but they still follow things they, they learned in AA. You know, it's like right. people on college campuses, you talk about intellectual stuff because you're going to school. You're in AA, you talk about AA stuff because it's basically like college for how, how to exist, right? To clear the palate so that you can exist. Well, you did everything in dramatic fashion. So I was out of town the night you said you were quitting. I got text messages from three people in the room that were just, because you were like always the sober guy. Everybody looked forward to seeing you on Thursday nights. You were that guy. Exactly. And I didn't exactly know. If you why really, I so you consciously didn't like that effect on other people. I, I just, it's, I just saw it in myself. And the way I viewed the world as a corrupting influence at one at, at a point. Wow, this is after Mike, what, a, just short of twelve years, right? Oh, yeah, hmm. Mike, do you have years. you ever felt that way? Uh, no, not really. Well, you okay. don't have to. I, I yeah. can feel it for both of us. You know, but I, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> that, was, that was a jab, Mike. I don't know if you know that. Or not. But see, this is I'm, I'm in this Bobby. I got it, Bob. A little I bit, got it. A little bit. No, but Mike, Mike <laughs> Mart, I don't even have to. I, I don't know if you, you know that these people don't know our relationship, <laughs> the three of us. But let me just say that we uh, did. A, it's like you know we did a lot of uh, living together. Yeah. And also, you know, I've, I've lately I've watched a couple of old shows that we played. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing, Mike Mart. You know, at first I didn't think like Tony Malone was like the was like the right guitar player, but yeah. I watched like that show we did. They have up on YouTube that we did or Vimeo or whatever that is that we did at the uh, Palace. Yeah. Look at some yeah. other stuff, and I gotta tell you, I, you'd have to admit that when you, we rocked, we we really rocked out. And I remember you'd always run over to the riser and you'd go like, "Wahoo, fuck yeah, be white." <laughs> I loved it, man. He would realize in the moment, you know, for for what it is, I don't get why like nothing happened with our act, but I personally take away, I think we were the real deal. When yeah, we were we up were. there, there was no artifice, there was no plan, there was no show, there was nothing except for like these freaky individuals just going for it. Like, like was the end of the world. And right? I think that uh, one that you're talking about was when we opened for Neil Young and Crazy Horse, right? No, no at the, the Palace at the, at the, the 80s with Tony. Uh, I remember yeah. there's one because Elijah's there, right? Sitting on your drum riser, right? What's that? Elijah's no, that like Roxy. a little kid. And yeah, that's the one. That, yeah, that was yeah no, that was at the Palace, Mike. Here you go with your uh, memory. <laughs> Shit, see, there you go, man. You know, I'm but not like nostalgic. Kids listening at home, look at that stuff. And there's another show at the Roxy that's even with the same uh, lineup 
that's even more unwieldy where it's just it turns into basically a riot i think it was our record release party and you know at one point on stage it's like you look there's you know taters there's flea there's tree there's top jimmy playing an acoustic guitar by himself you know (laughs) angelo like Norwood, like everybody for Shante when he still had the white sidewalls jumping up. I mean, everyone's there. It was mayhem because if you showed up to one of our gigs, it was kind of understood that if you brought whatever acts you had in your hands, no one would have the authority to say like, "Hey, dude, I don't think you should play." <laughs> right? Yeah, nobody, nobody was doing that. No one gave <laughs> gave a damn because we didn't have an act to fall back on, right? But um. I thought we. But I, I do. You know what makes me think of it? This is this is good. The, I like this conversation. So I go see a lot of bands, and I see their low. Right. So so you go see a band. I just went and saw a bunch of bands last weekend, and they they go good. Like first five songs, it's good, and then it just falls off a cliff, and then they kind of get it back together for the end. Right. That's an average hour set by a band. There was no lulls with us. It was well, like suicide. A it that's was a like band a that's suicide. following a plan. It was, it was a suicide mission. There was no lull. You know why? Because the drummer who called out the songs usually, we never had a set list, right? So you'd, you'd gauge the crowd. Because many times like we do something like uh, really pretty. And then we'd play something like the, the hardcore fastest tune we played next. Always mixing it up, always keeping people wondering. And, you know, you go to one of our shows, it would start out like, you know, no, because we didn't rehearse. It would start out kind of slow. And as we gained momentum and we started finding it locking in, then the crowd's enthusiasm would rise and rise and rise. And you listen to like an old recording and the people are yelling and screaming and laughing and it sounds like a riot in the audience, right? Really now people was. just sit there and look and put up their phones or whatever. But yeah, it's a very have- weird time. A lot of the Thelonious Monster success, though, and I'll have to talk about Bob here, is that, you know, Bob was fall apart and unpredictable, uh, great songwriter, blah, blah, blah. But you did capture the writer's hearts, you know, you captured like the biggest writers in the business. Oh, the Bob critics loved yeah. you. They saw it. They saw what it was real. When those articles were were read, and they, and then it made it gave people a framework, I think, as to what to think of us. But Pete's right. I don't there think was, so. I don't think anyone read was, that. I think everyone came out for drinks, and then all of a sudden, there's like these dudes up there that no, but you like, could easily put us in a we category. We could lean into like a Leonard Skinner vibe, or we could lean into a, like we could lean into any vibe there was because we didn't have a style of music, right? Neil Young, for sure. No, we didn't sound like Neil Young. No, no, we could do Neil Young vibe. We could cover everybody, but I'm just saying, like, the rock experience was varied, right? There was no, we didn't hit, like, like you go see a Foo Fighters show, and it's like the same song for, you know, an hour and a half, or some other <laughs> band. They came to see you and your tidy whities Pete. Well, yeah. that was, you know, that was, a, that was something that was born of, um, necessity because like you know the drummer you get all sweaty and everything and i didn't want to go out after the show all sweaty because you know the the whole reason for playing the gig was to you know go out afterwards and parlay down right come on what else do we get into music right and so that was a way to like keep my clothes dry and then it it got to be into like a ritual where i would like (laughs) part of my going to play ritual would be like the the house lights are down the music's are playing and i would go out 
like with the lights down and like you know not making a show with or anything but i would just go stand in front of the drums and i take off my clothes and it was like it was it was liberating no you know at a few people in the audience might notice because i would shove it in my kick drum so no one could steal my shit right yeah. that's that's why i could keep an eye on everything so yeah. i would fold my stuff up and put my kick drum and it was like a way of like you know like a sports guy taping his ankles or something it was my <laughs> way of like yeah it was my way of like freeing yourself just a, oh my god that's funny yeah that's why we used to wear the you know underwear so yeah. we talk a lot about death around here and we've had a lot of deaths here mostly not drug related so here's I gotta the other tell you thing. one thing though it's then. either it's either gonna get you if you can make it through your 20s 30s and 40s there's still trouble up ahead right there's still like emphysema and heart disease and cancer and whatever okay. right yeah, but you're yeah, just talking about one. I mean, you know, we we kind of know the Mar, you know, the Hal Negro story. So, you know, and I just well, Hal, just, was, dude. Hal was one. Talk about just, Hal. Talk about Hal, because I I yelled at him, but Pete doesn't. But Pete doesn't know. I yelled at him because he was all fucked up, and on uh, fentanyl. He was doing fentanyl, and I I said, Hal, you're gonna be. You don't want to be somebody who beats cancer and then dies of a fentanyl overdose. And he, you know how he. That was his life, though. That's like why, though. That's so stupid. I'm not here. I can't judge how someone's life plays out. That's just the way that that book was written. You know that that was going to go down. Now, did he ever ask you what he should do? I, <coughs> did he ask you what he should do? He used to ask me all the time, "What should I do?" And I would tell you're him, in the biz and, "Yeah, because you're in the business." I'm not. But he might. Yeah, but no. But he would. So he didn't ask you like what you thought in all those years and years of going out in and out. Not really. I don't think so. Whatever but, you have to do to, to live this life, do it and like whatever. And hopefully it'll just be like, you know, some tripped out chapter in your life. But the difference is if you're if you're not good at it, meaning like you're too loaded, you're not living anything that looks like a normal life, that the drugs are at the center of your existence, then the news is that you're shitty at it. And you better find another line of work because you're just, it's going to, it's like, you know, working with heavy machinery, like you're going to lose your hands, right? If you don't know what you're doing. So if you're like in a bad spot, you suck at it and there's no shame in the game to go like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not the best chess player in the world. I should go be doing something else. And I think what you and Mike and those y'all are doing are trying to tell all these people that, you know, this is one avenue that you you could choose to do. But I'm here to tell you, I don't regret one second of what I what I've you know lived. I don't have I can't. You can't no, regret no, no. because it's like, it's like a book. You don't get pissed off at a trippy chapter in a book, right? You just go like, oh, let me turn the page, see what the next chapter is, and da 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 da. And it's either like Oh, it's happily ever after, and you like live to be a zillion years old, and everyone fucking loves you, or you're you're you know, Marty, and you like croak. So you're saying right? that Marty was really bad at it because obviously yeah, yeah, he, was bad he, was he was terrible. terrible at he it. was terrible at it, even when it was going good. He was yeah. terrible at it. That's like Robin, Robin Crosby. He wasn't very good at it because he just did so much. He could have died. The real thing moment. is what AA tries to focus on. And what I think the root of all of society ills are, I'm going to get like trippy now, is that <laughs> like what AA hits on correctly is that there's a spiritual vacuum. Now, most people are afraid to spend the time alone, like, you know, and really work out like their relationship with the cosmos and with life and death and 
whatever God concept you have or whatever you think that is. Most yeah. people won't. They'll distract themselves with everything. The family, they'll distract themselves with work, with entertainment, with whatever it is. But no, don't do that dark soul searching thing that drug addiction can lead you to and come right with like, you know what? I got to be cool with everything. I just have to accept that everything is okay. Because if I don't, I'm going to find a billion things wrong with everything. So firstly, for myself, I just had to give up the concept of ever really knowing anything and just being cool with whatever. I don't care if the God concept or whatever that you're praying to or whatever, you know, is a winged beast or, you know, an angel with a halo. I don't care. Right. That's that's not the important thing. The important thing is that you're OK with yourself and then you accept it as this a total package like me being a little kid is as important as me being in junior high is important as whatever, because it led up to today and where yet now. So that's like, you know, whatever <laughs> ramble I'm going to go on. Well, do you think and people don't spend the time and that's why you have to put drugs in there because well, you're, you're like, describing. But what they end up with is faith, right? Not even, or or the inability to even care whether you have faith or not. That it's like, like I have, like I uh, have a um, rabbi on my block, and being a Hebrew, and we have these like philosophical conversations all the time. Oh, that's he's cool. a really cool dude, and he's like, you know, and I'm like, I don't care, I don't care if everything in this Bible or the Torah or whatever you do, because it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you, it, whatever you do, brings you to love, compassion, and charity. No matter what, like if you're doing a religion and it doesn't lead you to love, compassion, and charity, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, right, right, right. If you're doing AA and it doesn't leave you to lead you to love, compassion, and charity, you're doing it wrong because that's the Correct. only reason. That's the, right. only, you know, that's like Bob, like you're, you're even on that last record, you're love, love. Like that's, you know, you think like Ringo, like dude was on to it a long time ago. That's right. the main concept, right? And if until... You can like look at your life with that kind of like appreciation. You know, a lot of this, my newborn spirituality came when me and Keith uh, were doing our uh, podcast yeah. and we started doing research into all these conspiracy theories and aliens and all this weird shit. And I don't care about it, right? I'm just, it's just uh, fodder to, to look into stuff, right? It's like, I don't, I don't give a goddamn if there's aliens or not. What does that have to do with my world? But the one thing that was like, they kept on getting back to with the aliens is that the one thing that they don't have that we have is that capacity to love and have emotion to laugh and to cry. And that shit, that's all that matters. Like you have that capacity, you know, I'm a hippie. You, are a, a hippie. you are a hippie. So you are also the leading authority on the reality of our lives. So a lot of times you'll hear something from somebody. I imagine you hear it third party but you say you said this and that's not true so me and mike have admitted we don't really know what happened a lot of the times <laughs> we're just going by no we're just going by what girlfriends told us happened or like uh, what what somebody well, said I mean, happened Bob, you also are a prevaricator and you always have been you will make up whatever story needs to be made up to sell the product and i love that about you but it's the truth Okay, so but so some what, of it's true. So a lot of it's true. let's just go with the main one that kind of gets well, one that gets disputed. Was Mike Mark kicked out of Felonious Monster for drug use? 
I don't remember I, Mike Mart ever being kicked out of Felonious Monster. <laughs> okay, so Pete Wise, is it correct that all of a sudden I wasn't getting the calls? Right? No, Bob stole the contract and disappeared. That's what happened. You didn't, nothing happened except for Bob stole the contract. That's where you left the band because you were on stormy weather. And then all of a sudden Bob goes solo. Yeah. And you didn't get brought, you didn't get brought along. You and but me I both went didn't get brought along to at the Hoover, At Hoover Rehearsal Studios, Mike wasn't told he's not in the band anymore. Hell if I know. I don't, you, you remember, I don't do you remember that. I would I, never say that. I didn't ask him in the first place. How can I kick him out? <laughs> and besides, it's just all just my parts there. Like that's just how it was. Like all of a sudden, like oh well, that's the guy. Okay, cool. I love Mike Mark. And also that, also there was gigs where people just wouldn't show up. You know, mainly me. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, there was times when we had five guitar players and some of them didn't show up, and then there would be and then there were two, and there were two, and then there was three, and you know, it was kind of like that kind of a band. Okay, so I don't think you really needed a membership. Here's one that's been widely debated. Did Frusciante audition to be in Thelonious Monster at the house on Gardner, and we said yes, and he was excited. Is that true or not true? This is how it went down. That's me and Rob and Rob and and Chris Chris was there. Chris, Chris, yeah, and Johnny, and he we played two songs, and I looked over at Johnny. And I said, dude, do you want to do this? And he just sat there and grinned like a freaked out little freak with his white sidewalls and his big long hair <laughs> and all those teeth showing at one time. And he was just going like, yeah, 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 yeah. He was so excited. And we were going like, oh, my God, this guy can play. It was awesome. So and how long was he in it. the band for? Do you remember? How long Two was weeks. he in the band? Two weeks. In fact, I, sub- I think <laughs> Betty gave me a tape of a... <laughs> I got all those. Someone sent me all the old um, live recordings. And the only thing I listen to on those are the cover songs. Cause it always amazes me that we could sometimes play songs that sound, you know, other people's songs that sound almost like the songs of other people. And sometimes we play the hell out of them. Like we used to play that Led Zeppelin tune. I think we did like the most bang up job of rock and roll, like out there. It was, it was hectic. But uh, so I'm listening to their, uh, it said uncontrollable urge at Cal State Fullerton. And I turned it on and I'm going like, who's that? That's Bob could never sing like that. And it was John. It was John singing. <laughs> yeah. So oh, he was funny. And I think we played like Long Beach or something. We played like two or three shows with him. Remember he had um, Denny Zoom he was running around with right then. Oh. Yes. And then what happened? That's the critical thing. What happened? What happened? All I know is I got a call from Flea that night and he said, oh man, I was thinking about Johnny for the Chili Peppers. And I'm going like, cool, man. We always are the farm club, whatever. You know, no problem there. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we, weren't, we weren't, I mean, we were serious about it, but we weren't. I think for us guys that were in the band, it's like, yeah, we wanted to like rock out and do all that stuff. But it was also just a way not to have to be in society. So Flea called you. Okay. Yeah. Flea called. Well, it's reported in a in a very popular book, autobiography, that apparently I said, no, 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 you would fit better in the chili peppers. The, so there's that, also I sent you that clip where you said after a beautiful mess, 
we would we were going to split all the money equally but you know the guy said no nah, we should we've probably never done that now so i just figure i'll take all the money <laughs> you said that that we took a vote no the publishing the publishing the, money. the publishing money because yeah, you right. so, you got songwriting credit on that album. I didn't get Mike songwriting had credit songwriting credit. Dix had songwriting credit. The idea was to give to split it up the way I remembered it, to split it up. Yeah, equally. exactly. The way you remembered it is always the great way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you one thing. Everybody in the world made money off our records except for me. Like the people that pressed the record made money. The people who boxed the record, the people who delivered the record, the people who like everybody made a dime. I well, that's the way it's always been, you know. Then I got, oh, geez, I just, it's just, it, it, it's nonstop. The humiliation's nonstop, but I've learned to live with it. <laughs> I really have. I've learned, I've learned to be okay with everything. I've learned to be really okay with Bob. Like, you know, the problem with me and Bob were is that I was right all the time, the, like the entire way. And Bob, <laughs> you know, he was wrong and he didn't care. <laughs> and so I, I would stand up to the man who was like the, the big baby at the head of the thing. That being said, we were simpatico as far as what we were doing musically. I kind of played the drums to Bob singing as much as anything. I had to learn how to be really nimble on my feet because of Bob's suspect uh, rhythm and timing. But then we finally found an equilibrium that worked for both of us. And I think and it was a dynamic combination. And it took, me a, it took me a long time to kind of get used to your drumming. But then at some point, it, I just, it just, it became the most natural thing. You know, I got into this rhythm of Pete Wise's drumming. And when I jumped up on the drum riser and was like yelling and screaming, it was for real. It was because I felt oh, yeah, it. No, I and I felt it what there was a connection. You know what I mean? It was crazy. It was weird. And that happens with music. I mean, the chemistry, the all of a sudden, the rhythm all of a sudden sinks. And I get it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, you know, I I never really you know knew how to play I, I, whatever. But if you sit back there long enough, whatever, you know, I always had rhythm, but technically, I'm st I was always like you know, I was always playing to my best ability, and that wasn't really good, that great because I really wasn't you know musician. Yeah, but it was like, Salonius Monster. It was the sound of Salonius Monster. It really yeah. was as much as Bob's cool. vocal and Dix's guitar playing. Speaking of Dix. What uh? What did you feel? You did you go to the memorial or you didn't go? Yeah, Pete. Yeah, yeah. we all hung he, out. Pete, you went, Bob, me and Pete. And yeah. You had to go to. You couldn't go to Dix's funeral because you were at Lollapalooza or something. No, but Coachella. well, I was gonna Coachella. try. I was supposed to have a grandson on that day, and then it got delayed. Right. So. Well, then you would have been right down the street. Elijah was there with his pregnant yeah. wife. I know because so his no wife excuse. wasn't having a baby. Right? <laughs> I was in. You I was no. at Coachella. There you go, making it up again. I no, no, I was at Coachella, and if Jean went to the hospital, I was going to drive up, support them, and then go to the funeral. But I really didn't want to go to the funeral. I've been to Brendan Mullen's funeral, Rick Van Satten's funeral. I, I don't like funerals. I, I don't Dude, like. I just had to uh, speak at the. Um... Alex Meslansky Memorial and, oh, and John Carlson, Sean Carlson, because we were real tight. Sean Carlson asked me like, you know, a few days before if I'd speak at this thing. And I, I like, you know, I look at him, I say, look at it the, to the deepest core of my soul. I don't want to do this. I, 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 I just don't want to speak, but there's no good reason without being a, you know, an egomaniacal asshole 
that I can't come up with an excuse why I won't do it. And so I, you know, I slayed, by the way. So, but yeah, <laughs> as, slayed out of I, well, you know, I put a microphone in front of me in a crowd. And like, I'm gonna, like, I'm going to do some shtick, you know, it's, it's like, I know the guys like Matt Dyke's funeral. There's too many funerals. We're getting old, Bob. You know, you, you want to be around for all of them. You not necessarily want to go to them. Like, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, I, I actually said to the, the assembled, I go like, I hate to tell you folks, but when you croak, you ain't getting a crowd like this. Like, you, 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 you might be doing okay in life or whatever, but you're not going to get a crowd. Like he had to have two of them. He had to have a, Maslansky had to have a private one, about 170 people, which were like tight family and friends. And then a public one at the Echoplex that was uh, well attended. Because, huh. you know, he, he ran stories books, you know. The, yeah. One of the things is me and him almost, you know, we were supposed to, we were going to open a bookstore, but I had Hal do the lease negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I thought, the there was, I thought there was something about the loading dock and you can do, there was some complications other than Hal's incompetency. Right. There was well, now hold on. In, in Hal's defense, one time I, I, you know, when I had the studio, there was my land, my, the guy that owned the building was, <laughs> was threatening me and stuff. And I had Hal, I called up Hal and I said, Hey, here, here's what the guy's trying to do. And he goes, Oh, hold on. I'll write a letter. So he writes him a letter and mails it off to him. And the guy just, it disappeared. <laughs> yeah there you go no i loved how you know it's like it's just like these real like tent pole people in your my world just you know they're they're good we're all gonna start dropping off like it's you know it's it's whatever uh john albert right boom bink. oh my gosh he, he, he so like just like right? roxy boom bink you're like so it's just it gives you like a little bit of greater appreciation like you know shit ain't so bad you know but I, you know right I, I, you know, is ba is your audience like basically people in recovery? Yeah, Most we don't fun. really know. <laughs> well, we know Smitty and Wiley are, so we, we know we our two know most our biggest supporters. <laughs> All I can say is, like, you know, I totally dug AA. Right, I was, I was, I was. It gave me like a reason to do things, like to get out in the world. But I like my uh, social anxiety. And the things that maybe caused me need to be a drug addict in the first place, right? Once you you kind of get clarity on all that stuff, you go like, oh, you know, I'm kind of comfortable removing myself from the spotlight anymore. I don't want to be like noticed or whatever. I'd like to like kind of like fade into the scenery a little bit. And Pete, I didn't think. Pete, do you ever talk about that time? You know, the times that when you lived on La Brea and you and you were, um, you know, up in that apartment, that really nice apartment with your girlfriend. Vine, it was Vine. Was it was it La Brea or Vine? Rossmore. Rossmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was over by Larchmont Village. I know that. Yeah, you were. You were yeah, so that's another thing. Like, do you ever you talk keep about saying that I, I, I stole all the money or something? Like, how much money do you think it really is? It's like fifty grand or a hundred grand, and, and to talk about it for forty years, a hundred <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was a lot of money. But, but you, you had money. You lived in a nicer apartment than me. My wife made money. <laughs> well, however you get your money, Mike, right? 
<laughs> Mike's well, lived in well, some hold nice on places now. I didn't too. know you stole that much, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> that changes. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's... every time I'm about to shake a nickel out of the tree, man, it's like something comes and like snap. <laughs> Whatever. Like I'm at the point in my life where, like, you know, look at you. I, I, I ain't getting out of like I'm like that character now i've read enough literature and whatever and i'm kind of like stuck in this role of being like that character like that that hip dude in like you know hollywood that knows everything and has been on the like been in town forever and like you know i'll tell you who you know who you're like is leonardo caprio's dad you would love that guy thanks Uh. yeah George, yeah. George, <laughs> a compliment or back these guys that grew up in LA and are just like, yeah, you know. they're just the coolest guy in the world. Like whenever I go somewhere like, and I see him, like, it's just like an encyclopedia of knowledge. Oh, wow. And weirdness and comic books and movies and fucking Oxycontin. And like, he just, he's one of, he's, he's one, there are, and they're not making people like that anymore. Right, like they're just not making people like you and Keith and him and, and Top Jimmy. They're just not making them anymore. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's kind of weird not having Keith in the, a neighborhood. He's on tour right now, so that's uh, yeah. kind of like that's one of the guests on my couch at work every day. That I like because Keith would come by two, three times a week, spend an hour or two, make the week go faster, whatever. Yeah. Do, do, you know, because Keith is Keith. It's kind of hard to, to. Do they know who we're talking him? about? Yeah, yeah they know. Keith, I agree. he's been he's been on a couple of times. So because it's Keith, we forget. Like, because I'm trying to explain punk rock and the history of music to this guy Patrick that I work with, and when you just when you go to the icons of punk rock, the American punk rock is like Jello Biafra, Henry Rollins, uh, Ian put McKay. Henry Rollins in there. Well, he's the one that represents it. I don't know that he is it, but you know what I'm saying? So people say, oh, and, and Keith, right? And I'm saying, no, Keith is the top of the pyramid. He's the top of the top. top. He's the fucking icon of icons. He was in the two best punk rock bands in America. And this is one thing that I give my dear friend and, uh, but do you understand credit. what I'm saying? Like he's yeah, not. Jello Biafra his, hasn't made, hasn't done anything good. He made like two good albums. His editorial na- narrative has not wavered the entire time. He's been on the right side of every issue from like the very, very beginning. It's always been an, a, a political, emotional expression coming out of that guy with humor and whatever. But he's like, he's a brilliant poet. He's a good, he's great. And the off lyrics are just crazy. Great. Like crazy, simple, great. That and, new off and, record is amazing. It's, it's a real um, challenging listen. Cause it's so full on. Full like on. It's, it's full, full on. on. But what Have I you listened you know, to it, Mike? I haven't. You're talking about the guy was the singer of the original singer of black flag. Then he formed the circle jerks who made hey, the don't most forget, iconic. But, hey, don't forget bug lamp. Yeah, but they right. made the most iconic punk rock record. Group sex is the pinnacle of Southern California punk rock. I mean, that everything about it is just the greatest. And and so I just have this feeling that you know, like Darby Crash gets a lot of respect. If Keith had died when he was like 27, like he probably could have or should have or would have, uh, 
he would be much more respected. Do you, do you agree with that or not? Because I think that he's around and he's alive. Everybody doesn't realize this guy, this little tiny guy is a fucking genius. Yeah, but he doesn't have the, the personality to go out and sell it like that. Right. He's, he's pretty modest dude. I mean, right. he's modest. But we're supposed degree. to be selling to it for degree. him. He should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is what I've been saying oh. for fucking years. Oh, definitely. No two ways about that. No, yeah, that's that's a for you know, sure. You know who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way? Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Keith Morris is not. That's Fuck that. Fuck that. The most place. ridiculous thing. <laughs> Why are you even talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's like, I get it. They're, like Is L7 in? Is L7 in, Mike? Dude, I don't know, but Kate Kate Bush is in. Can you believe that? <laughs> well, but I mean, what about the punk rock museum in las vegas what, oh, i haven't seen that one but what la people are in the rock and roll hall of fame besides people the big rock bands no, no but i mean of punk rock there's no there's nothing from the punk rock scene in america hey, in hey, the let rock me put and roll this in perspective fame. bob kate bush is in and bad company is not can you there you go. <laughs> all you need to Rogers, say. No, bad but there's. But I'm just saying. So Black Flag is not in. Nope. Black no. Flag is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, for people from the Midwest, won't buy tickets to go see a Black Flag ex exhibition, but they will go see an exhibition for Pink. <laughs> uh, so Pink's not. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Pink's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think she, she is. Yeah, no, it can't yeah. be. Why not? God bless her. <laughs> well, I you know. know I don't want to shit on Pink. She's actually nice and cool and great. But but I just I just don't understand why this revolutionary music that changed the way society is gets no not one person not not Black Flag not that's because. Not, the, it, it, that it makes perfect sense because the whole idea of that music was not to swim in those waters. Was is, to swim against public, those waters. Is public image in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It doesn't matter. You know what tricks me out? Like I always thought Martin Atkins played on all that stuff, but he only played on like two songs on Metal Box. Right? I always thought well, Martin. He, I was but he like, played. You know what he played on? Which I just talked to Nick, the producer, last Saturday. Because okay, so here's the thing. You know, in and um. Uh, foreign closed walls it's it's well no it's martin atkins playing the drums but the thing going is a mickey mouse watch that watch that keith levine had and they keith levine was genius and it remember and how it, rad that and was it clicked that rubbish. sound it clicked that sound and so uh, it, on the one hand it clicks and then on the I other hand it's more important it's more okay. important how about when we were playing up at Laura Newman's house, remember when Cujo threw the celebrity skin drum set in the pool? Yeah, and, uh, and the broken window. And, and, and the broken, broken window. window. The gangrene guy, right? The gangrene guy went through the window, didn't he? Got cut up, yeah. And um, But then we were jamming with Keith Levine in the living room. And I was just going, because we was this way early on, I'm going like, oh my God, we are jamming with Keith Levine. Yeah. I thought it was just like mind bending, you know, that, that we're kind of like we zelled out. Like we, we, we opened up for Steve Jones. We opened up for the Ramones. We opened up for Joe Strummer. 
We like, you know, it's like all these like hero bands. And like all of a sudden they're kind of I like I think we opened up for the clash too when they had three guitar players. Do you want to hear the greatest compliment ever paid to Thelonious Monster? I'm sure I've told that story before, but your listeners would really love it. We were playing the uh, Gaslight on on Ivar, right off Cosmo Alley, right off Hollywood Boulevard. And the opening act was Rhinosaur featuring River Phoenix and his brother Joaquin, right? They play with bags on their heads. So we're playing this, you know, it's a small club and it's like, got it. We're rocking out and it's sweaty as hell because it's a little club and it's summer. And so... Right when the show's done, I'm sitting there at the drum set, and the entire crowd, like to a person, rushes for the alley to get some oxygen, right? And standing in the middle where the crowd was is Joe Strummer. And Joe's looking at me, and he's just like, I'm just, he's just standing there. He's not moving. So I walk up to him and I go, like, Joe, what's happening? Because, you know, he's hanging out in those days. And he's like, Weissy, man, I got to tell you. I've given up on, excuse my impression of Joe Strummer. I've given up on rock and roll, but tonight, the Thelonious Monsters, man, you guys have restored my faith in rock and roll tonight. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. And I go like, I'm like, I I can't believe it. And then like three or four days later, I run into him at Dickie's or whatever. And he's like, why see, I got to tell you. And he tells me the same by the sixth time. I said, dude, if you say that one more time, I'm going to punch you. I remember when he was sitting in front of the Pogues, fronting the Pogues at the Wiltern, and he stopped the show. And he goes like, "You people in Los Angeles, you've got a band here. They don't give a fuck, man. These guys are really motherfuckers, felonious monsters." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some we had some fun time. Funny, that's a great story, Pete. Yeah, I just thought you folks would like to hear that one. It was weird that he was around. It was like, it was like Jimmy Page was around, or fucking Keith Richards was around. I know. I know. Bob Dylan told me never to drop names, but did you get that? Bob Dylan uh, told me never to drop names. <laughs> but Joe was doing a, a mix on some uh, Gross Point Blake uh, thing, and he was also doing a. And he goes, "Dude, you YC man, you gotta be come down to the studio for the mix, man." And I'm like, "Oh, whatever, okay, cool." And I got there and. Uh, I was there for a little bit and I finally, I just go like, Joe, you asked me down here. So you're going to have to listen to this. Turn up your fucking vocals. The people want to hear your voice. You've been bit like earthquake weather, how it's all buried in there. Yeah. The people want to hear your vocals, man. Yeah. So that was my, my get my contribution to uh, rock and roll. You were a good arranger. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 You know, we did. We did. So whose fault was it uh, that these tire got left behind when we were uh, in the van and we got a flat and we're on our way to New Mexico? I think Luis, Luis, little Luis. Was uh, it Luis driving on like two flat tires? When no, we no, went? no. What happened was there used to be a tire that was in that back loading area and Louis decided we never get flat tires or we don't need it. He needed more <laughs> room. We ne- he needed more room in there, which was true. I think I was standing there because it was my house and he was like, do we really, because he just leaned it against, you know, you're looking at the garages of the gardener house. He yeah. leaned it on the left-hand side of the house. It just was there. And when we broke down in New Mexico, when we pulled the equipment out, there was no spare tire. <laughs> I wish it I was, could remember any of what happened. Well, Keith, me and Mike took off. Me and I know, Mike but left. I, I, I guess so. Then you were in a bar or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know nothing about it. Either. What did you do? Just stay in the van for hours and hours? You're asking me to remember a <laughs> night from on the road with you? I was probably like, thank God Bob's gone for two hours. Please don't find him. Why do you want to find him? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, you know, really- I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was, it was what it was, you know. And I just think, you know. We Whatever. always tell the story, Pete. We always tell the story about when Bob pulled, when Bob shit on the back of his shirt. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that. I can see in my brain because I think he was wearing like a white shirt, wearing some like like some sort of poncho-y material yeah. thing. A big, big white shirt because that was the style with Frankie goes to Hollywood. Florida? Stuff. <laughs> We're in the south of Florida. <laughs> Frankie goes to Hollywood. <laughs> oh, Frankie goes to Hollywood shirt. And I Bob, and I looked down and there was no why well, you know there was constant bathroom problems in Thorny Swamp. So that's that another thing. End, that, the night that tour ended at Emos and Arab had a broken arm and you and him were brawling and then like everybody flew out except for me and Arab had to drive the monster mobile and you guys took all the money and we like had to go into our la- our own last fifteen dollars for gas to make it back to L.A. With it, it was like 120 degrees, and the, the engine's like blowing smoke into the cab. I mean, just me, I'm just like driving the gear home, and I got back to LA with nowhere to stay. And then I went, I found Marlo at the uh, at some club that she was at, and she wouldn't even come out and see me. And I was like, "Oh, great, three months on the road for this!" <laughs> wow, a dime in my wow. pocket. What about the Chris Hansen Duke and Puke? That's probably one of the greatest stories ever. It's an actual. Did it really happen? I don't remember it. Where he was throwing up in the sink and pooping, uh, sitting on the toilet. I'm sure that's true. Why wouldn't he? Bartles and James, man. He couldn't handle his Bartles and James. (laughs) Remember that girlfriend he had up in San Francisco? He used to call her Bartles and James. Now, Pete, was that fight between Arab and Bob? Wasn't that at the Liberty Lunch? I remember it happened. Okay, okay, you're right. I just I just remember it was like a in, half indoor, half outdoor. Bob was not even around, like nowhere to be found. And so I think Arab played guitar, and we for a while. I well, mean, they, they fought at Soundcheck. They fought at Soundcheck. Oh, I'm sure Bob, Bob was know. trying to shake him down for money, and he wouldn't give it to him. So Bob swung on him because that you know that's how Bob. You know that's. How, I remember we we're going somewhere. <laughs> we had to stop so Bob could get a tattoo. Like he's like, <laughs> I think I'm not gonna get it until I get the you know, like, Jesus Christ. Oh my god! <laughs> it's, uh, I, you know, we never Bob had not... any time. It seemed like we no, never I'm... had any time. What would your life be like if I hadn't been in it? I wouldn't now, have been now, a Pete. What is your what is your memory of the San Francisco trip where Bob's mother was there or his sister mother? Is that the one where you like? I was I completely out of my stage. mind. I right. was completely d- drunk. I went up he had a, we, we did, she, she had a, a boyfriend, Terry, that had a bunch of coke, right? With, 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 with us. Rob's, I think, stole the van at one point to go cop. That's right. But, to freshly dating Marlo. And we were like in the dressing room and Mike Mart comes stumbling in and he grabs the bus tray full of drinks and ice and takes it and throws it against the wall and then just goes, <laughs> P-Wise, I'm so fucked up. And then when the show started, uh, Mike tried to grab the mic stand to hold him up. And he just, like, in slow motion, slid down. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember. And you just slept on the stage for a while. Anyone in the audience knows our tunes. And I think think some kid came up there. Yeah, I played (laughs) up. Yeah, there was a kid. But you just were asleep on the stage, Mike. I don't doubt it. 
Mulatto and the and the person that was fronting it, I guess now we'd call them a they, the they who was fronting it was rubbing the microphone on her vagina. And then <laughs> top of it, I was just going like, oh yeah, this is tragic. Great. Yeah, tragic mulatto, they were called. They were, great. they were great. But the, but let me tell you though. So Chris Carey says it was San Francisco. I thought it was a Bogarts that happened. No, so if it's in San Francisco. There's a. Do you yeah, know that you, you're like you're like <laughs> Keith Moon? Do you know that Keith Moon had the same experience in in and it's on video. You can watch him yeah. pass out at the drums. They just move him over and he lays down, and then they get some roadie guy to play drums at the exactly at the Cow Palace. In, the audience, the, yeah, the Cow Palace in San Francisco. You and Keith Moon. Mike, <laughs> I've passed out on stage in San Francisco and the bands just carried on without you. Jared, well, because, you know, but there were more times than that, that that Mike Mart was like just ripping it up. And we had like epic, epic performances, right? Like even when they review us, like in the LA Times, they'd say, oh, you know, this, that, and the other thing happened. But all of a sudden the band, like, you know, the, the whatever guys back in Bob, like kind of found, locked into this thing. And the next thing you know, the, it took off, you know, but I've, I've seen like, cause we could really like catch a, like a powerful thing going on that I just don't think a lot of bands could do. I really think yeah, that we yeah. had like this, this like rock thing that comes with not having an agenda, right? There wasn't a plan about any of it. We didn't get together at the beginning and go say like, oh, we want to sound like that. Like at the time we were probably into the gun club and the dream syndicate and whatever was going down, but we never had a, cause we weren't good enough to set. We couldn't even cover tunes cause we weren't good enough. That's why we play like the doobie brothers listen to the music and we re remember we released that on a single yes what, what's your favorite what's your favorite Thelonious monster songs oh god i don't know man there's some you know you know we, we took that little idea you had in indiana for sammy hagar weekend and turned it into like the two and a half minute opera that it is right because yeah. the whole idea of that song when like we were going to track it is that wanted to start it like lamentful and 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 thing and then the, when you start singing about the heavy metal stuff i wanted to start playing like a heavy metal beat which i really couldn't do but it just it starts crunching along and then the end of the weekend is that like wild frenzy of like whatever and if you remember it was such an afterthought of a song that the tape ran out they didn't even use it to give it a clean piece of tape so to save the song we took the last whatever 45 seconds my idea when it ran it back around backwards and then had mike put a forward guitar solo over it so it sounded like the, the guitar solo wait was a minute i want to stop right there mike do you know that you did that yes oh okay. yes i remember okay. that bob if you remember correct this me and p were talking about this you have some sort of delusion that that uh no, mike, i was not just, there all the time you were the one that wasn't there all right time. how about you you better run song we just like kick like pull that right out of our butt do 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 off of uh what about Sorry, positive, Bob, what about Bob, positive train? When I go back and listen to songs, I think positive train is a unique song that no one else could write. See, I look yeah, at like Swan yeah. Song. I look at like Swan Song as a as the one of the most genius, most heartfelt songs. How about so? What if I did? 
what about so what if I so did, what is, if like I did is, ama- is amazing yes and so uh, if we and stack hang, up if, hang if tough we, really says you know but says a but, lot but a lot of these songs you're mentioning we we couldn't or didn't play live yeah we played them all we live. Them live we didn't play swan song very yeah, often we did all the time we, play, we played it all the time totally all the time bob all the time did almost we? every night yeah yes I like that song. Oh, Nothing's yeah. perfect. We never played that song. We played it a few times, but that was another great song because it's yeah, like it's a great song. I think Positive we had train. a lot of really Positive good songs. I just think amazing. that you know because we were like actual like punk rockers, where we were really rebellious against any kind of authority, and we weren't going to play whatever game foolishly because we weren't we weren't good business like rock enroll business people like you know like when you went on the air and talked shit about relativity the day the record came out or whatever like we kind of think all that's fine or blowing the national anthem because you know we're anarchists whatever but we didn't have a plan i don't think anyone i think we achieved well well beyond whatever desire we had when we started the band right oh for I think sure we succeeded that. incredibly like we sure that. look at how many records we put out these guys now, how, did not now, know now, how to play their instruments. Now, the how did how did Tree and Sven circle the planet? How did that come about? Lack of That's, lack of songs. A lack of songs. That was the most amazing song to me ever, man. When I hear that, I just thought, oh my God, this is a that is a great song. But the reason I mean, why in my mind other, the, wait a minute, let me cut you can say if it's wrong, Pete. But in my mind, we had good songs. We had like Walk on Water. We oh, had uh, Union uh, Street. Hang Tough. Union we had, Street. We, we had, no, on the on next Saturday afternoon, we had songs, but right. then they were only like two minutes and 20 seconds long or two minutes and 40 seconds long. So then when you, we had recorded like six songs, it was still only like 20 minutes, right? Yeah, definitely some, you know, we like, you know, uh, Pop Star, I think that's that's a great song. Yes, pop star. I played that when I cried the day Dicks died. I played that in in here in my office. I'm chowdering. I'm chowdering heavily. What's the feel? I can't get the feel. Roll it back. Bob, you have a very uh, very idiosyncratic voice that drives some people nuts and some people love to death. That coupled with the fact that I didn't play play straight drum beats. And that we didn't stick to any particular style. Like we'd always have, like we didn't care. We throw an instrumental on there, or a novelty song, or or what, or straight blues song, or whatever, a cowpunk song, or you know, trippy psychedelic, whatever. There was no through line to sell the product, right? It's like I was saying before, like these bands that like it's this variation on a theme for twelve songs, and the one song that they write in those twelve songs that's really good drives the rest of it well we like which what direction do you go if you were trying to represent what we did there's not like a certain style that you can describe to what we were doing because you know we just weren't good enough to cop a style right so right but i mean but you and me weren't good enough mike and dixon and rob were good enough yeah yeah, but at the the heart of what we were doing like the, the only two constants in the entire act were me and you Right. Okay. But if you listen to all of it, it all sounds like Thelonious Monster. Right. Okay. Okay. Everything we ever did sounds like Thelonious Monster. Yet the only constants are me and you. So whatever vibe happens, it's a combination about 
how you sing your lyrics or whatever, and how I like kind of like get with whoever we're working with, and we come up with a sound that that you can sing to. There you go. You know, that's kind All of right. So thing. now let's talk about blow blow mind for a second. So you guys had this crazy popular like inspiring podcast that everyone i knew listened to and loved and talked about that inspired the movie it inspired the movie yeah that's true and you guys just stopped doing it but and i i you know it was a little bit much for me i listened to like maybe five episodes but but so in all your crazy looking into conspiracy theories and fluoride in the toothpaste and the water and the air and the vapor trails and all of that. Morty's really Is there really, that. do you really believe it? I'm, I'm t- I, cause I know Keith really believes it, but do you really believe it? Believe what? That the, the government's trying to mind control us by leaving vapor trails and fluoride in the toothpaste is mind control and aliens. And do you really believe that stuff? It there's, there's, it, it does to me. It's like whether it's true. I, I don't care. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> like if there's aliens right under me right now, I'm just like, cool aliens. Oh, they're they're they're. So then, what's the difference between that and Scientology? You make fun of Scientology. This is the difference: is that the the whole show, the premise of the show, when I conceived it, was I don't care about the veracity, the truth in these conspiracies. I'm interested. <laughs> In the this was my tagline. I'm not interested in the truth. I'm interested in the best fact. Oh, here's the best one though. This is the best one. I don't know. You guys probably remember her, uh, but everyone will love this one. Is the story of Tuesday Weld? Do you remember Tuesday Weld? Yes, Tuesday Weld's an actress. Yes. Right. Okay. Tuesday Weld showed she was at the very beginning of rock and roll, like the Alan Freed movies and stuff like that. Yes. She's all over those movies, right? This is what you need to know about Tuesday Weld. Um, goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. Right? She uh, yeah. Tuesdays on the phone to Monday. She mentioned "Bye Bye American Pie" was written by Don McLean about the coronation. Of, they made a ritual sacrifice on that day because that was when Tuesday Weld became the queen of the Druids. And there's a movie that everyone can watch called Lord Love a Duck. Yes, Lord Lord Love a Duck. I know that movie. So, Rod, who also did the Manchurian Candidate Mind Control. And what it's about, I read a breakdown of this guy named Adam Golightly. You can look it up. It's a hard, go to Internet Archive. But anyways, he wrote a, 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 a cold breakdown of that movie. And, oh, my God, it is, it is. The story of her becoming a druid queen, and she has sacrifices Jane Mansfield. I kind of believe that Don McLean was at was at the Rolling Stones concert in, in Altmont and wrote it about Jagger and how America American Pie is America. Is America goodbye, America? Because you know what? The the civilization is falling apart, and here's proof of it. He was living with Tuesday Wells at the time. Enough said. From punk rock to conspiracies through sobriety and returning back and philosophy. What's going to happen, Pete, in the next five years? Do you have any ideas? All I know is this. When I was a little kid, like I was a child in the 60s, and all the hippies used to like 
tell us what this dark future was going to look like. And I always used to say my, to myself, thank God it's not going to happen until I'm an old man. It's all happening exactly like they said it was. <laughs> everything they predicted, everything the kids marched in the streets against has, yeah. has, has gone on steroids now. And like, I'm like, whatever, I'm cool. Like if the species needs to extinct itself, none of my business. Like I can only do what I can do. And that's like be a, you know, a good person. Cause my world is very small by choice. And it's to be like, I like, I have a personal relationship with everybody in my neighborhood. Pete, right? why did you avoid having children? I didn't avoid it. It's just like, and I think every woman I've been with, cause Bob knows I've been with some quality gals over my oh, life. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Are you kidding oh, me? Yeah. I know right? too. But I think yeah. they could smell. You always had that, the most beautiful women of all of them. But here's the deal. They can smell of that. I'm not, I couldn't be a provider. That my relationship with capitalism at some <laughs> fundamental <laughs> DNA level, I don't mesh with it. And for, for my life, everything that could go wrong financially to me and every bad break you could ever get was going to befall me. And so not, as much as they loved me, and they tell me years later, like, oh, my God, I loved you so much and whatever. Is that they could smell that I would never be stable provider. And, in the, I, and, and that's true because you know what? It really is the woman's choice. If she wants to have babies with you, she's going to have babies with you. When I got married, I got married the one time. I was, I was in for life. Like, I am not the one who backed out of that deal. Right. Like, <laughs> happened in whatever it was to get to, like, you know, to equanimity. But it never happened. What do you mean you do? You know, I had one, I had, I, I had one abortion and, and even at the time I thought, wow, that might be my only shot, you know, and it wasn't but, even my, I was informed afterwards. Oh, wow. Yeah. So well, whatever, you know, if you get the cards, you dealt, but, but it is, I, you are a favorite of everybody's children. Like, you know, you know, what's interesting? And you get you know, to be, you get to be that you get to be around kids every day, you know, all day long. I learned that from. I really Ooh. think I learned from Flea. Yeah. Early on, when I saw how Flea dealt with kids, I was like, oh, like, I don't have to trip out around kids. I could just, like, engage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, proactive with them rather than being re reactive to them. So, I'm, like, at work, I, you know, I'm around kids all day. And I'm like, so I've pulled parents aside. I know we're wrapping up. But I've pulled parents aside. Like, I got that definite discussion with you. And they're like, what's up? I go, uh, I just made a Three Stooges reference to your child, and they didn't know what I was doing. There's some gaps in their education that you might <laughs> constantly, like, you can make noises and do woo -woo -woo and whatever you want, right? Teaching them that to be engaged with your fellow man is a good thing, right? That's why I say, like, everybody in my neighborhood, it's like, I, can go, I go in... I don't care if the guy's working at the gas station or if the guy's working at the coffee joint. I'll go in there and have a, a like a substantive conversation with these people because All that's right. after everything, whatever you accumulate, whatever issues you're going through right now, everyone can accomplish that, right? Wherever you are, you could be actively engaged in the living of your life. There's got to be there's got to be some kids that you that are now in their thirties. How long has the music school been around? Twenty years. We have kids. We have kids that have been there that have kids of their own now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Oh yeah, we've been around for twenty-two years. Well, so, Pete, 22 years. you are a beautiful, yeah. interesting, intelligent 
human being, and I love you There's very only much. Only one man. P. Weiss in this universe. I wish we could have had a better conversation, but I'm always at my best. <laughs> that was great. Well, we'll do it again. So, hey, everybody, don't you know? Be safe with your drugs out don't, there. Take them if yeah. you want. Take them if you want, but make sure you're taking them safe. You know, and, and you've got a friend with you. You've got anything? Just we want you just to not die. That's it. That's the whole That's goal. That's it. Like, just don't die. That's all you got to do. And then you can like look back and go like, "That was a trip." Oh my god! I'm thinking about it. Was so interesting though. It was dramatic. All right, that. Wise, That's it, brother. That was a later. trip. Good night, you guys. Bye. Good night. I love you. Bye. Bye, B. Love you guys.